0: Welcome to the Hey Soul Sister podcast, where Mel Histon will guide you through life's big questions and bring you one step closer to doing this crazy journey as best you can. Hey Soul Sisters, as many of you know, because you hopefully listen regularly to the Hey Soul Sister podcast, I founded a charity four and a half years ago called Got Your Back Sister to help women and children begin their lives again after fleeing domestic violence. So for the last four and a half years I've been on a crazy journey myself listening to women every week and hearing their stories of the abuse that they have experienced and most of the time thankfully have managed to escape from but I get asked all the time why are people violent to each other like why and and I suppose I Work predominantly. We work predominantly with women who have been abused by their male partners or husbands. I mean, there can be same-sex uh, domestic violence, but we, the most of the women I come across, have been abused by a male partner or ex-partner. And I'm asked all the time from people who are curious as well, why is it that people? are violent to each other in the home, in relationships, which are supposed to be loving relationships, you know, even in terms of brothers, sisters, uh, parents, and again, husbands, wives, partners. These are supposed to be loving relationships and respectful relationships. But in many cases, they're not. They can become violent. And abuse doesn't always start with a shove or a slap in the face there are many red flags for potential abusive relationships again there are deep can be deep-seated reasons for that domestic violence so today i have a very special guest with me in the podcast studio joplin higgins to talk about why it is that people are abusive or are violent to each other when they're supposed to be in a loving relationship now Joplin is one amazing sister she's a vocal and dynamic advocate for increasing the awareness of the prevalence of domestic violence in the community and she's a vigorous believer in the necessity of a rehabilitation process for the perpetrators of domestic violence so Joplin is a lawyer a solicitor lawyer Lawyer. Lawyer. Um, And she was selected a few years ago as part of the Westpac Social Change Research Fellowships to go to America and actually study domestic violence reduction programs. So, Joplin, welcome. Thank you for coming in. And, well,
1: thank you. It's um, been a long time
0: in the works. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I've been trying to get this woman in here uh, for ages.
1: But we're here today, which is so good.
0: Absolutely. Um, and again, I suppose I look to you, Joplin, as being somebody who is extremely knowledgeable around domestic violence um, and perpetrators why they abuse and mm. through your travels in the stays around behavior change programs
1: yeah absolutely so in 2016 I was awarded the social change fellowship so that was the inaugural year so really exciting and there were lots and lots of applications so I feel really honored yeah that's that. amazing and it was a big process you know there were interviews and, and yeah. tests, and you know it was it was a big process. And so, not just anybody gets awarded a Westpac. No, no, it's quite a quite a vigorous uh, process, and and they want to be sure that it's going to help the community in which you live. Yeah. So I actually heard about it one day. I was driving to work. It was about six o'clock in the morning, and I had the ABC radio on, and and I was like, you know what, I should. I should do that because I wanted to know more yep. about why people perpetrate yes. DV. Yes. Because but you have a lot of clients yep. that have been living in abusive relationships. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, the majority of my clients have uh, experienced domestic violence in one shape or another. And as you said before, it's not the slap in the face. It's not the punch. It's where you can't see the bruises, the controlling and coercive behaviour, you know, the financial abuse, the abuse to pets, isolation. None of those leave a mark, you know. So it's that type of domestic violence that, you know, I used to run these cases early in my career and, you know, be laughed at really by my colleagues and the wow. court would very rarely find that what I was trying to establish, which was domestic violence through controlling behaviour, to deprivation of liberties and all of that. And there was a real uh, understanding in the community that what happened behind closed doors was behind closed doors. And that transferred into the court system as well. Yeah. You know, so... I've been talking about this for so long and now people are on the same page and we're talking the same language and it's a good place to be because I don't feel like I'm shoving you-know-what
0: up a a hill. hill. Yeah, yeah. Well, hats off to you because I I agree. Um, I remember my granny when she was alive telling me about her brother-in-law, man that was married to her sister, and she'd be like, oh, Robbie, he's a bugger. The yeah. way he carries on to my sister. But nobody would do anything about it. No. And nobody would actually call it out for what
1: it was. No. But there was no voicemail. Yeah. Y- y- you know, it's hard being the person there. You know, I've been the person there yeah. saying, you know, to the courts at, at different stages, this is violence. Yeah. This is control. This, is, this woman doesn't have access to her bank accounts. Yeah. How is that not violent? Oh, Mrs. Higgins, you know, it was, it is, and it will continue to be.
0: So how long have you been a lawyer for and and representing people who've experienced domestic violence in the court system?
1: So I am now in my 13th year of being a lawyer, and I really wanted to be a criminal lawyer when I was at university because it's, you know...
0: You CSI, the,
1: quite sexy, and I thought that I'd be wearing a suit. And, yeah, you know. Yeah, no, it's not like that at all. Hats off to the criminal lawyers because it's nothing like that. Yeah. Um, but I, I kind of was ushered into family law. I was in a law firm, and the the partner said to me, "We, well, you're a girl. You'll you get it." And I was like, "Wow, well, okay." On so many levels, wrong. But you know what? I need the job, so I will get it. So I just kind of fell into family law and then the next job that I had was family law and the job after that was family law. So that's that's how it worked. I actually didn't even consider family law really when I was at uni. I just didn't even – wasn't even in my mindset. Yeah.
0: Mm. Well, I think that maybe there was a bit of divine timing or intervention in that because you – do so much wonderful work for oh, people in the you. community and for families and for people that have experienced domestic violence and are going through the worst time of their lives. Yep. And you know, you're such a wonderful human being to be able to support oh. them and represent them and also give a voice. I mean, as you were saying yep. 13 years ago, you're begging the courts to acknowledge the fact that bullying yep. and controlling behavior yep. or harming your partner's pets or financial control that's a form of abuse. Yeah. And
1: so, straight away, I connected with uh, the refuge when I was a junior lawyer I was in Wagga so straight away I I connected with them and it was a really good relationship so since then wherever I've been I've connected with the women's refuge and because I'm able because I am a strong female yeah and so sometimes my client they they are they are strong people but they've been shipped away at
0: yeah
1: and so when they come into the firm or they come in to see me, it's not just about the family law aspect of it. It's about you're a great human. So how do we restore your self-belief, your self-esteem and your self-worth? Wow! And that's really important yeah. to me. It's It's really important to me. And that's why I created my firm was because I didn't want women in the community to just be another number and Oh, righto and you'd be treated like that I wanted them to have respect oh. it's really important to me really Tell you
0: what Joplin that makes my heart sing I remember years ago I went through a marriage breakdown and going through that whole process and I, I actually met with a couple of lawyers mm. to represent me through that marriage breakdown and separation and they lawyers don't always think that quite often they don't think that way no and they don't treat you that way no. i once had a female uh solicitor i went to see her and i was i was 28 i mm. had no idea what was going on had never been through this before and the way she spoke to me was so belittling i've never forgotten her name and i can't wait to come face to face with her again in newcastle and just let her know exactly yeah, how bad that, it felt how what that felt like yeah
1: and do you know what probably gives me a better perspective is that I was divorced. Yeah. I had two little kids. It was an awful divorce, but all divorces are awful. But I had this wonderful female practitioner who was so kind to me. I was, so I was a law student and I I'll never forget how kind she was. Her name was Bev Reeston and she's in Cairns. And every day I think, I hope I'm as wonderful to my clients as she was wonderful to me. Oh. And she was a really great person and, you know, yeah. I'm really grateful that she really cared for me. And Well, hats off to her. Yeah, pats off to her and absolutely um, she was one of a kind as well. But the law is such a prestigious fraternity. Yeah. But that doesn't mean we're better than anyone. Yeah. You know, yeah, we studied hard and it's yeah. not easy to get through, but yeah. um and like, it's let's not forget. That's beautiful you yeah. say that but not
0: everybody necessarily believes
1: that. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I get it. <laughs> so yeah, no. it's um that's important to the ethos of the firm. Yeah. Mm. Support a
0: sister leave us a review whenever you listen to
1: the podcast. So when you started
0: in family law, were you especially passionate around domestic violence or is that something that grew as you were representing more people?
1: No, I was passionate about it when I was a little girl. Ah, So I can remember, so uh, I come from a really big family and I used to get really upset when my boy cousins didn't have to do the washing up. Ah, and the girls did. Yeah. And my nana would be like, oh, for God's sakes, Joplin, just pick the tea towel up. And I'd go, no. Yep. No, why? One of my closest cousins was Tulsa. And I'd go, yep. but why isn't Tulsa wiping up? Why do I? what? Because I'm a girl. You know, and she'd be like, oh, for God's yep. sakes, Joplin, you know, like that. Yep. But I used to think, well, no, it doesn't work like that. Yep. And and then, you know, when you're in school and you you go and stay at different families' homes and you see sometimes the imbalances, and I was acutely aware of gender inequality from a really, really young age. Yeah. And I just wouldn't stand for it. Like, I nearly used to drive mum and dad up the wall, honestly. Like, they, yeah. oh, for God's sakes, Joplin, you know, like, and they, you know, they yeah. they always encouraged me, and but they always thought that I always had... Yeah. Something on the go. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: You know, uh, so I was definitely that kid. And
0: so now you've become that awesome, yeah, yeah. passionate advocate. Yeah, that's right for yeah. gender equity. Yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, in your experience, and from what you've seen over the years as a lawyer and helping people who've experienced domestic violence, why are people abusive? Why do they get violent to each other, especially people towards people they love?
1: Yeah. And how sad is it, firstly? There's lots of reasons. And it's really important that when you talk about the reasons that people don't think that you're saying there's an excuse. Yeah. But there's a reason for everything. Yeah. There's very few people that are born bad. Yeah. You know, I really believe in environment has a significant impact on our childhood. Yeah and when you look at perpetrators the majority of them have a childhood trauma or an adolescent trauma that hasn't been dealt with yeah so a they've been a victim of family violence themselves yeah b sexual abuse yeah okay c abandonment you know there's lots of there's lots of reasons why and when you're dealing with perpetrators, it's like dealing with an onion and you're unfolding the trauma sometimes. Now, that doesn't make it right. It doesn't give it an excuse, but it does give it a reason. Yep. And I think people need to understand that whilst domestic violence is horrific, if we don't treat violence... And the perpetrator, it'd be like treating cancer and not treating the cancer, treating everything around it. Yeah, you can't do that. Yeah. So why would we think that it's acceptable in this forum not to treat the issue? I was um, doing a media
0: interview the other day, and the journalist asked me, "Do you think that will ever?" have a world where there's no domestic violence Mm. and I I didn't know to be honest I was like well
1: wouldn't it be wonderful yeah you didn't answer the question though no well okay
0: that's something we would all love a world that's peaceful and kind and free from violence and abuse but I don't see that happening in our lifetime.
1: No, I don't either.
0: But when you went to the States, you were actually studying
1: behaviour change programs there that are dealing with that, with the perpetrators. So I went to a number. I just didn't look at one. So I looked at uh, a program in Tennessee, in Nashville, uh, that looked at situational violence. So violence, that's a one-off. Now, there's lots of critics and naysayers about that type of um, counselling but there are some victims that say look it's never happened before some of the academics say but you peel away controlling coercive behaviour yep. you know those types of things perhaps there there are other elements of DV but you've only just um, had physical abuse so but you know that was a shorter program they were having some you know, good traction with that, Um, but that wasn't something that everyone was picking up in in the States. Um, I thought it was an interesting approach for first-time offenders. Yes. And where the victim was actually cooperating what they were saying so lots. they were going yeah look it really was one time yeah we haven't he hasn't been beating me for yeah. five years or something yeah okay. lots of problems with victims saying that as well because you know mm-hmm. b- b- being frightened and those sorts of things so that's one program that i that i looked at then i went to a number of shelters and had a look at the therapies that they had within the shelters for victims of domestic violence, uh, so sand therapy, sound therapy, you know, counselling, all of those sorts of things. And I, Mel, I found the most fabulous shelter in Davidson County in Kansas, and they bought a motel. Wow. Yeah, and it yep. was five five floors, and they had one floor for transgender women. Yeah. Then they had a floor for single women. Then they, the third floor was therapy floor, and then the um, top two floors were for women with families, so yeah. with children. Yeah. And it was phenomenal. There was a pantry. There was a massive kitchen. They could do their own cooking. Yeah, it was. Oh yeah. I would love to do something like that here in the Hunter. We it should was, talk about
0: that and oh, see what we can do. It was
1: you know I get really excited about and I just was in awe of these people that had done it and you know the community it was community funded funded by the council. Yep. Oh it was yeah they had a portion each um, year that they would give that it Rain Hail or Shine that money went to the shelter. Yep. Yeah so it was phenomenal. When I was in Nebraska, I went and spoke to uh, religious leaders from all denominations about how they can be effective in domestic violence, how they can listen better, yeah. how they can not tell victims, oh, well, it's just the way it is. Did you come across any of those
0: religious leaders that maybe had some archaic mm-hmm. thinking around, like, gender roles? and you know, I mean, look at marriage vows. Yeah. Obey. Yeah. <laughs>
1: It was a hard discussion for some of them, yeah. But because it's challenging, I suppose oh, their beliefs, their innate beliefs. Yeah, it, and and it challenged their belief of victims, mm. because it's that you know behind closed them, doors. Did was, some of them believe that it was a that, right? Yeah. That yes, without saying it. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah, it was really interesting, but but there were others. That were like you know what we are responsible to our parish we are responsible to those that um, are weaker Uh, you know this is what our religion is about so i had some great and some really robust discussions and it was awesome and but they had invited me so i that wasn't a planned part of my trip they just heard that i was in kansas and so i got this invite like to go to Omaha and, and Lincoln and some other towns in Nebraska. So it was awesome. Yeah. yeah. I can imagine, you know, being a religious leader
0: and going, oh, you know, what happens behind closed doors? That's just shirking responsibility as a community oh. leader. Oh. Somebody who is, you know, when you take on that role of being, you know, a, a minister for a parish. Yep. You're actually saying, you know, I'm a leader here and I'm about the love and care of those people in the parish. To say that what goes on behind closed doors, knowing that people
1: are experiencing abuse, that's just shaking responsibility as a leader. But you've got to remember that um, some of the verses are an eye for an eye. (laughs)
0: in the old testament the old testament (laughs) well some people are still living in the old testament
1: so yeah you know that was um that was really exciting but then I got to get into the real guts of the of my tour when I was in Kansas in Topeka and when I was in Colorado so if you have a chance and anyone that's listening to this Go and have a look at the um, Family Peace Initiative. It's a course in Topeka, Kansas, run by Dorothy and Steve Halley, and it's phenomenal. These people have been talking about trauma-formed therapy for decades and decades, and it was falling on deaf ears. And really over the last five years, people have gone, oh, oh, so you treat the trauma and you might treat the behaviour. Yep. Yep. That's so that's it. what they do.
0: They're working with perpetrators of violence yeah. and going, okay, let's deal with the trauma that they've experienced in the hope, or, or, you know, so that yeah. it changes their
1: behaviour now. Yeah. So they were one of the first the first couples that really started talking about perpetrator courses. And, you know, they didn't go down this quick and easy fix of six weeks. Six weeks is a waste of time. Which is what we're doing in Australia, oh, isn't it? it? With the Engage program and and... It has its place, but if the criminal court system is thinking that they are going to rectify the problem with a six week program, waste of time, more importantly, waste of the perpetrator's time. Yeah. Because it's not going to fix anything. Yeah. False advertising for the victims and the kids. Yeah. They haven't changed. Yeah. It just, it just doesn't work. It's, it, it, you're looking at someone's childhood. Yep. You're looking at significant trauma, usually. Yeah,
0: and you had said something to me as well that um, behaviour change programs in Australia are generally short, short, shorter yep. courses, and they they might be go once a week. But yep. this this course in America
1: that is having real impact, massive impact. It's a twelve month course. Yeah. So the one in Colorado's twelve months, and the one in Topeka is about thirty two to thirty eight weeks. Yeah. And that's where they find that they have the most change. And it's not even once a week? No, no. it's They're touching base three, three times a week. They're touching base with the victim a number of times a week. They're talking to the children. They're having therapy on the side with the victim and the children as well as the perpetrator. And then if things are brought up in therapy... Uh, then they're letting the victim and the the family know today was a particularly hard session, you know, if they're coming back into the home, which is not unusual, Mel. You know, the the perpetrators do go back into the home just because everyone else says you know, he's done this, and I say he because it's predominantly men, but he he's done this, it should be all over. That's just not how it works in reality because the victim and the perpetrator have some wonderful times and some wonderful memories together. And usually the victim really loves them but for the violence. Yeah. And that's the reality of it. There's no use sugarcoating it and pretending that it looks anything different for a lot of victims because that's what it does look like.
0: I saw a great uh, TED Talk on YouTube called
1: why Domestic Violence Victims Don't Leave. Oh, that just popped up the other day in one of my feeds. And I was like, oh, I've got to go back a screenshot. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought I'd go back and watch it. I haven't seen it. It's really it good.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting. So, um, and it's a, a woman and she talks about how, I um, mean, she was young, 17, 18, 19. She moved to New York and she got this great job as a journalist working for 17 Magazine. Oh, um, Leslie Steiner. Yeah. I okay, think, so I, think... I
1: met her in America. Oh wow. Oh wonder Oh okay, I... have you got her book, Crazy Love? No. Oh, get it. It's phenomenal. I will look that up. Yeah. Oh, okay. I... No, this was another one that must have come through my but Leslie, so she was just here in Australia last year. Oh geez, I wish I had to... <laughs> Oh, Well, you know what? She'll be back and um when she is. So I keep yeah. in good contact with her. She is Amazing. I would love to meet
0: her. And yeah. anybody that's listening, look it up on YouTube. Why domestic violence victims don't leave, and she shares her story mm. about what a slippery slope it was from meeting this guy who was amazing, and you know having this incredible relationship with him, should. and then just over time he moved her away from but her he, family. He assaulted
1: her on their uh, the night before their wedding. Yes, night. and that was the first. I think that was the first physical. Yeah violence and she went to her family and this whole behind closed door you know mentality and it was a bit like that and she endured absolute fear she lived in Mm. absolute fright and she still believed that she could save him in some way yeah 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 100 percent and a police officer came when she finally left and he said the next call you won't be breathing yeah. It's time to go. And she fled. Yeah. And she is this magnificent person. Wow. She's yep. really impressive. Yeah. And so I got to watch her talk with this other program that I went and had a look at, which was Jenna's um, campaign. Okay. And so that was a campaign uh, where Christy Brungard, it's her daughter, and um, was going out with this guy. Then they broke up, and she was like, "Oh, he's a bit jealous. Oh, I'm a bit worried, you know." But not so worried that she really let any of her family and friends know. And he, you know, got her to go over to his house because he owed her $600, and he'd cut up paper so it looked like he was giving her $600 in an envelope, and he murdered her. Oh. Really sad. Yep. And you know. Everyone should take the time to actually know a family of domestic violence because it's not just the victim, it's it's really far reaching. Yeah. And this family have, you know, really drawn on their tragedy, but every day is super sad.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't imagine.
1: Yeah. So they do yep. some fabulous work in prevention of domestic violence in teen relationships. Yeah. Because it starts there as well.
0: Yeah. Which is why um it got you back, sister. We've been training in the Love Bites program yeah. and, and starting to program. do Yeah, starting to do some work in high schools, educating teens about yep. healthy and unhealthy relationships and what the red flags are to look out for
1: well you need to be talking to christy because i'll give you i'm going to connect you guys up because i love it it's so good things that happen on the hazel sister podcast here we go here we go working at its finest but that's that's phenomenal but then you know then i go back to this perpetrators program in topeka and they've identified what they say are the three main reasons for perpetration of violence yes an entitled based perpetrator, a survival based perpetrator, and a sadistic perpetrator. So, an entitled based perpetrator is, it's my privilege to abuse you. Do like people really believe that? Yeah they they've they've really studied the motives, and you know I've collated the the data from. I think they've been doing their program. I think it'd be nearly thirty years now, so there's yeah. a lot of data, and. You know that's that's what they've come up with one of their as one of the motives is that they, that that people just think it's their God given right to perpetrate violence and then there's a survival based perpetrator so right at the end not a lot of physical violence in those t- sorts of relationships um, more controlling and coercive behaviour and then right at the end it implodes and so if I can't have you no one else is having you so high level of um, homicide in in that type of perpetrator and then your sadistic perpetrator is it's actually for the thrill of it
0: it's actually sickening isn't Mm. it
1: a lot of violence on children as well from a sadistic
0: I was at a a networking business like a business networking event and a man came up to me who's head of an organization and he quietly pulled me to the corner and he said I really think it's great what you're doing because I grew up with a father and he was sadistic he Mm. enjoyed abusing my mother and us four boys yeah and um He's like, whatever you need, you let me know because wow. you know, and 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 he was telling me the ramifications of that, yep. you know, which were in, included a suicide, yeah. you know, um, and yeah. so so sad, and and I can't imagine. You see what
1: happens if you don't fix the trauma. Yeah. So that's why you have to fix it. Can you can you fix someone that's sadistic? Well, I think it's it's I think it goes back to what trauma they had. You know, are they just sadistic? A psychopath. Yeah, Yeah. or do they have a trauma that's attached to it? But these programs teach accountability. Yeah. And that's what the program is about. So even here in Australia, so we we do a shorter course here in Australia. It's continuously growing. It's looking better every time I talk to people. And I feel a bit bad for people. perpetrators here in Australia that actually want to engage in some help and you know they're not you know the courts are saying oh yeah I know you've done this but you know can I really trust it well we have to trust we have to trust the courses because they go through a massive screening and um, they really look at does this person even acknowledge that they've perpetrated violence. And if they don't, they're not they're not they're not in the courses. The people that don't do that, they're not accepted. Hmm. So people that are accepting what they've done are accountable for what it looks like. They're going through the courses. And they and you know, it's I think it's 17 weeks. Hmm. You know, it's not it's not 38 where you know or 52 where it needs to be, but but they're going through what's available to them and doing what they need to do. And they don't all finish. And they even if they do finish, they don't have to be signed off on. If they haven't learnt what they've needed that what they need to know yeah. and they aren't accountable at the end of it, they don't get the signed off certificate. Yeah. So it's not a bludge yeah. by any means. Let's
0: get soulful on social media. Search the Sister Code Facebook page. And follow us on Instagram. So, Joplin, for people that are experiencing domestic violence, and I know people don't necessarily like to use the word victims, but I'm going to use it. So for victims yeah. of domestic violence, if somebody is experiencing violence or they, or they get an inkling that what is going on for them, it may not be physical, but they're being bullied or controlled mm-hmm. or financially controlled, emotionally controlled, psychologically yeah. abused. If they have an inkling that that's going on for them, what should they do? What's the first protocol?
1: Well, do you want to unpack what DV is outside of physical? Sure. So, yes. So so and then we can yeah. So let's unpack it. It's mental abuse. Okay? It's verbal abuse. It's being isolated from your family. It's having your belongings damaged. It's being deprived of your belongings. It's being deprived of money. It's being made accountable for money that you spend. To the scent. It's about abuse to your pets, the mm. threat of abuse to your pets. Uh, it's being isolated from your family and mm. friends. And it's a deprivation just of mm. your everyday rights, happiness, and freedom. Yeah. And it's physical abuse. So they're the things of what it looks like. Because I, I hear people come into me, Melan, and one of the questions I ask is, you know, has there been any domestic violence? And they go, No, no. And then by the end of it I'm like, oh God. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, let's let's talk about it. Yeah. Because you don't have your own key card, you don't have your own bank account. You don't know where your super goes. Mm. Yeah. Concerning. Yeah, controlling yeah. behaviour. Yeah, and some you know sometimes and, and it, it's important to understand that everyone has a role in their marriage or their relationship. So I look after our finances. Yeah, but you know that doesn't mean you yeah. know that it's financial abuse. That's that's not what it looks like, and it's not having that communication. Like oh, I've put two hundred dollars on the um, on the credit card today. That's just healthy dialogue between partners. Yep. It goes beyond that. Yep. I spent three dollars. I spent twenty dollars. You know that that's accountability. Or you only have one hundred dollars for for the, you and the four kids to buy groceries this week. Have you met clients like oh, that have yeah. experienced that? Yeah. Wow. And it's always the people that you would never ever think that are living with financial abuse.
0: What do you do? How do you react when a client shares that with you?
1: I normally, uh, you know. Do you get angry? No, no, I don't because I can't help. Well, I'd be angry all the time, wouldn't I? People probably are like, she is. Um, No, no, I don't get angry, but it's an education. So that's, you know, Mm -hmm. with your question before, how do we then as lawyers, because my job's only this. yes. I'm not a counsellor, I'm not a financial counsellor, all of those sorts of things. So then we try and divert our clients into the appropriate services, services they that they need. Yep. But if people think that they are experiencing it, first of all, they need to communicate. I don't necessarily know it's a service that they need to go to, perhaps communicate with their family or a friend. Somebody that they trust. Yep yeah I think that's the first step, and I think believe that's the hardest step. going to a service isn't yeah. hard. that communication with your with your family is hard yeah yeah
0: A very long time ago, I went to see a counselor with a partner, and we were in the room together for three minutes and she asked him to leave mm. and she said to me, "You do realize that that's emotional abuse, don't you?" And I was like, "What are you talking about?"
1: It's just she, the way we are. I'd never heard of it. I'd never yeah. heard
0: that term emotional abuse mm. ever. And she said, well, in the three minutes you've been in this room, he said this to you, he's done that, he's done that, he said this, that's emotional abuse. And I was absolutely
1: floored. Horrified.
0: I I had never heard the term and I had no idea. And, I re- and, and it took me a while to realize, wow, well, that's not normal.
1: No. So. But the thing is, Mel, you know when you're – you know when you have those relationships and then you go, oh, well, that wasn't normal. You know, I'm sure they didn't mean it like that. And then two years in, that's your normality, the thing that you thought was not normal in the first instance. You know, and that's what happens to to victims of domestic violence. It's not normal. They know it's not normal in that, in that first instance or there's a red flag at least, but then it becomes their every... Day, you know, they know no difference sometimes. Yeah. And that's, and that's hard. That's, that's mm. hard. Yeah. Absolutely. I know. <laughs> it's, so heavy. it's a heavy topic. <laughs> Do you know what?
0: It is, it, it really is a heavy topic, mm. but it's such an important one. It's, it and, and, and I truly believe the more that we have these sorts of conversations, the more that people are listening and maybe they, themselves maybe have experiencing um, some form of domestic violence or somebody that they know and it's actually by having those these conversations mm. that it might encourage them to seek help yeah. or um, to find the right people to reach out to
1: yeah and it's good at the moment because people are talking about it. Mm. You know, we've been on the side, you know, the last couple of years, you and I, we've had lots of talks and there's been rumblings, you know, and your organisation is so great because it's so visible Hmm. and it's got a great voice and it's got a great presence and it's making a big statement and making people have the conversation. But we haven't had that, Mel, if you think back. Yeah. You know, and now we've got ads on TV and you know, because of COVID-19, you know, maybe there's a bit of a silver lining yeah. of, you know, the government. Mm. Doing... The government needs to get behind domestic violence and stop thinking that it's just going to rectify itself. Mm. The government needs to get behind programs that are going to assist perpetrators yeah. because they need that to help the victim and the kids. Well, Joplin, I would like to say thank you because the world also needs
0: people like you who are yeah. out there um, doing what you can to find a better way to make change yeah. in the world and, and, and to, wouldn't it be great if we could end domestic violence? It would be wonderful. Uh, you know, thank you to you. Thanks, you're Mel. Like, you, like you're, you're freaking awesome. <laughs> Thanks, you, Mel.
1: you really are. So um, It's a hard slog some days, but yeah. I believe in... I believe that the women in our community, they're all worth it. Yeah. And I believe that, you know, women are just really, really special.
0: Yeah. Amen, sister. Yeah. For anybody that's listening and if you think that you may be experiencing uh, domestic and family violence or know somebody who is and you need some help, you can call the DV hotline, 1-800-RESPECT.
1: Triple zero.
0: Triple zero. Call the police. Yep. As, um, a refuge. Refuge. Lifeline. You can call Got Your Back, sister, 49892777. Reach out and ask for help. Yep. Thank you, Joplin.
1: Thanks for having me, Mel. Thank you, my Thank friend. Thank you. Thanks
0: for listening to Hey Soul Sister with Mel Histon. What would help you on your crazy life journey? Email melissa at thesisterco.com.